Nice to see you. We've been away for a couple of weeks in La Belle France, having a lovely time. Um, it's nice to be back. We're going to um, we're going to be in Isaiah 35 this morning. If you've got your Bibles, why don't you jump in there? We'll look at the whole chapter, Isaiah 35. Um, wonderful passage, one of my favourite bits of Isaiah. I love Isaiah. After Romans, Isaiah is my second favourite. Um, and this chapter is called The Joy of the Redeemed. And it's amazing. It's an amazing passage. I want to read the whole thing and then I want us to kind of look at it. It sort of quite nicely divides itself into two verses at a time. We're going to, we're going to look through it. Um, so Isaiah 35, if you're there, um, the words should come up on the screen. I'm going to read it from the NIV, um, but have a look, whichever Bible you have with you. Isaiah 35 says this, The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. <clears throat> like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands and steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. And then the, will the, ears of the, the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped? Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass, reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. There will not be, they will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. So, I guess first question first is, you know, how do we read Isaiah? How do we read these prophetic um, books in the Bible? Um, because actually they're kind of layered, um, and we need to understand that there is a very definite historical context, a very specific situation events um, that God was speaking about, and often future events, like things that happened now in history, but were being foretold um, about. So Isaiah, Isaiah was writing about 740 years before Jesus, um, and there was an immediate context that he was prophesying into. And so he was addressing God's coming judgment on his people for their persistent unfaithfulness and, and idolatry and turning away from him, which ultimately, um, 60 or so years later, after Isaiah was writing, 607 BC, the Babylonians came, took over Israel, conquered, and, and took them in exile, like took the people in captivity to Babylon for 70 years. And again, that's something that's very specific things that Isaiah was prophesying about. Um, and then after 70 years there, there was this miraculous turnabout where God used a man called Cyrus, you know, an ungodly king in Babylon, uh, which was all, he was also prophesied about by Isaiah, so that 70 years later, um, they came back, there was a return of the exiled Israelites back um, into Jerusalem, to Zion, that's the word it uses there. Um, so there are specific historical events prophesied about by Isaiah and that we have seen fulfilled. You know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus, this stuff was prophesied about, happened, fulfilled. Um, and, and we see that all through the prophetic books. But this, you know, this chapter is just one example. Um, and very much it's talking about, um, it's actually promising hope that they, you know, the, 
the Israelites could have read in their time in captivity and held on to, actually say, God will rescue you. God will come back. There is going to be a change. There is going to be a shift. So it was a prophetic promise that would have sustained them during those 70 years. But now that doesn't mean it's of no relevance to us. It doesn't mean that that was you know, something God spoke about, happened, it's finished, it's historical, and it's an interesting thing to read about. I think there's layers to these prophetic passages, which means actually they are, yes, they are specific promises to a specific group of people in a specific time. Um, actually, and that they are promises of hope for freedom, for redemption, for restoration. But actually there's a power and, a, and an invitation for us to take those promises for ourselves as well. It's not either or. It's both, Um, that actually the promise of freedom, redemption, restoration, like this chapter is a promise of those things for you and I as well. And Isaiah is full of it, particularly sort of Isaiah um, 40 onwards, full of promises of hope, of, you know, it's a, he really is a prophet of, you know, promise in restorations, what he talks about all the time. Just beautiful passage. Isaiah 35 is one of my favorites. Um, But it's called, like I said, it's called the joy of the redeemed. And the redeemed, so redemption is when you, you know, a price is paid to get something back, essentially, simple terms. So, you know, it was for those Jews in Babylon, it was them being brought back, being redeemed from captivity. Um, But actually, it's also talking about you and I, you know, we are... You know, we have been grafted and we are now the redeemed of God. We have been bought back with a price um, and restored um, to be home with God and to be in the kingdom of God. So essentially, you know, it, this chapter, it, it's like it's a prophetic picture of promise of actually what happens when God intervenes on behalf of his people. That's what it's about. So yes, yeah, promising this return from captivity to the Jews, you know, 600 years before Jesus. But it's a promise to us as well where we've been rescued, returned, brought back to God. And, and that's, that's the gospel. Actually, the gospel is one of redemption, that we are brought back and rescued, but also then the promise of restoration. Um, actually, so I think for me when I read this, it's like, you know, this, this encourages me to believe for and, and expect, more than just believe it could happen, but actually expect that it will happen and thank God when we see it, that actually God still intervenes in the lives of his people. Like, he, he hasn't changed from all those centuries ago. He still is a God who, who intervenes and rescues people, you know, reestablishes them home and increasingly brings life, you know, flourishing, abundant life is what this passage is talking about. You know, so when God moves, when his, when his presence is manifestly poured out, then amazing things happen. So this chapter should you know, raise our hope, should raise our expectation. It should comfort us in the waiting, you know, when sometimes we're, we're, you know, we're, be, we're in that process of believing for breakthrough and change and restoration, but we're not seeing it yet. Um, actually, for, in the same way for the, for the Jews, for those 70 years in captivity, um, it's hope sustained them, I think, um, as we wait and strengthen us on that journey. So it's a message of hope. It's a message of encouragement. And it absolutely is all about promising life. Um, so let's have a look at a few of the verses. You know, so the first two verses, um, for me, it's talking about, actually, you know what? There's nothing and no one and no situation that is beyond redemption and outside of God's desire for and ability to transform, bring restoration, bring life. You know, when God intervenes, life happens. That's a very simple equation. That's absolutely true. You know, when God intervenes in the lives of his people, life happens abundantly, even in the most unlikely places. So it starts off talking about actually the desert. So verses one and two, the desert and the parched land will be glad 
the wilderness will rejoice and blossom. So places where there's no lie, so desert, parched land, wilderness, not a lot going on, like not the place you choose to do your gardening. Um, But he's saying, look, they will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. There's, I love, notice how many times it says will in that. Like there's a certainty to this promise that it's coming again and again and again. This will happen. It will, it will, it will, which we need to hear in the waiting. Like you can imagine yourself 70 years you know, captive in a, an ungodly enemy country, you know, that sustaining promise of God, this will change. There will be life again. You know, there's loads of uncertainties in life and for us as Christians as much as anybody else, but there's something we can hold on to that is the certainty that God will intervene and life will come again. And we have to hold on to that sometimes. Um, you know, I'm sure for those Jews in those 70 years, it looked impossible. You know, why on earth you know, would we be allowed to go home? It didn't make any sense, but God raised up this King Cyrus and, you know, turn, you know his, the heart of Cyrus was kind of it's like God had him on remote control. The purposes of God were just fulfilled through this king. Things can change. Life can flow again. And it's extravagance. It's not just, um, you know, the desert will you know, get a little bit. It's, it's, it's flourishing life. It's abundant life. Um, it's extravagance. So any, and I, so I think there's that promise for them. But for us, we can take hold of that promise. Look, you know, we've been rescued and redeemed. You know, we were dead. We're now alive. We were in the kingdom of darkness. We're now in the kingdom of light. So that process of redemption has happened. That is in part of our history. And, and so we're planted somewhere else, home with Father God. But actually, there's still process to that. So, I, you know, I want to say that there are any area of, my life, of your life, which you feel like it feels like parched land. It feels a bit like a desert. It feels like there's, there's just not much life there. There's not much stuff growing. Um, it can bloom again. God will intervene and life will come again. So where it looks like that's impossible, where there's nothing growing, I think that's why God uses the, you know, the desert. It's these extreme change from desert to abundant life. Um, he breathes life. There's another amazing prophetic picture in Ezekiel where there's a, he sees a valley of dry bones. And it's not even like skeletons. They're like separated, spread out. You know, femur over here, ribs over here. You know, total you know, death and dismemberment. No life, no life, no life. And then, but as he speaks, as he speaks God's word, life comes. And, and it comes together again. And there's life again where it looks impossible because nothing is impossible for God. That's the first thing I want you to hold on to is actually God will intervene. Life will come again. And even areas which look like desert, he wants to transform and bring abundant life. And there's a certainty to that promise. He will, he will, he will. You know, and I think sometimes there's times when we need to, sometimes we need to hold on to that for ourselves. There's times when actually you need to encourage someone else with that. Someone else who finds themselves in a, a parched land, in a desert situation. Actually, we have a massively important and privileged role in being able to be those who get alongside and say, God will come. Life will come again. And that's what I think verses three and four are about. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way, say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come, he will come with vengeance, with divine retribution, he will come to save you. It's again that certainty of the promise. God will come. He will come to save you. I know it looks like 
That might not happen right now. It might feel like that's not the reality right now, but, but he will. He will come. And it, there's that encouragement is, is that actually we strengthen other people with that promise. Like sometimes there's, you know what, there's, when, you know, we can't be dependent on other people. We need to know how to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. We need to know how to hear his voice for us. We need to know how to get into his word and understand what he's saying. But we're absolutely, that, that is not all there is to it. You are not going to find everything you need. I don't think this is incorrect. I don't think you're going to find everything you need direct from the Lord. Sometimes you're going to find it through other people. And so we need to be those people who will say to those who actually are struggling, who are feeling fearful, who have weak knees, hang in there. God will come. Um, he will come. And it talks about, you know, this, he will come with vengeance. And I think it's important to say at this point, like when we're talking in the, the new covenant context, actually, you know, Paul says it, doesn't he? Actually, that our, our battle is not against flesh and blood. So this is not about God is going to come and wipe out people who ticked you off. Like that's not what he's talking about. It's not that kind of vengeance. It's, it's talking about principalities and powers. You know, it's not people. Our enemies aren't people. It's spiritual battle that we're in. Um, and God is coming to take vengeance, to deal with your enemies. That's amazing. And we sung about it this morning in that first song, The Lion and the Lamb. He's fighting our battles. There's an amazing promise in um, Exodus 14, I think it is, where it says there's a, there's a battle thing going on. And the word of the Lord comes and says, you need only be still. The Lord fights for you. It's like you don't need to do anything right here. God is fighting for you. There's other times in the Bible where there is stuff that we have to do, but there is sometimes there's a time where we just rest and say, God, you know what? God's fighting for us. He is going to come and take vengeance on my enemies. He is going to come and deal with anything that is stealing from us. That's what, you know, the Jesus has come that we'd have life in all its fullness, abundant life, blooming in the desert. Jesus has come for that. But the enemies consistently comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so God's vengeance is about you know, the work of the enemy, dealing with those things that steal the fullness of the kingdom for you. Um, Jesus is coming. And in Isaiah 61, there's another amazing um, passage where it talks about that it's the year of the Lord's favor. You know, the really famous verse, the spirit of the Lord is on me to preach good news to the poor. And it talks about the year of the Lord's favor and the vengeance of our God, which again sounds a bit sort of wrathful and fearful. And, but it's, but Jesus used that passage in Isaiah 61 when he came. When he announced his ministry, he said, right, this, that, he basically was saying, this whole year of favor and transformation, that starts now. So for us as the redeemed of God, you know, believing in Jesus, you need to know, God, it means business with the enemies in your life. I don't mean your boss. Yeah, it's flesh and blood. <laughs> yes, John. <laughs> um, but Jesus, if you like, Jesus is the most profound demonstration of God's commitment to intervene. Intervene in the affairs of man and bring restoration. Jesus is the most perfect and complete way that we can see that. To permanently shift things, you know, to finally defeat death on the cross. Like Jesus did all that, um, but he is coming to deal with things where there's stuff that has been stolen from you. Um, he wants to come and restore those things. And you know what, patience is hard when we're in that process of waiting. Patience is hard, but it's important. It's essential because it builds our character and, and builds strength in us. That means, you know what, we're going to go the distance. We're going to run and we're going to finish our race well. Um, but there's nothing in Scripture, I think, that should make us, you know, if you feel like, you know what, right now I feel like I have feeble hands. I feel like my knees aren't so steady. I do have, you know, a fearful heart. Like, 
I don't think there's anything in the Bible that says you should be ashamed about that. I think most of the Bible heroes we read about felt like that. Um, nothing in scripture that should make us feel ashamed if we're like, Do you know what, that's where I'm at right now. You can be real about that, but then I want to encourage you to lean into and lean on to brothers and sisters around you who can speak faith and hope on your behalf and saying, don't be afraid, God will come, he will come to save you. Um, you know, and sometimes we need to hear that an awful lot and really repetitively because it, it's hard in that, in that waiting. Um, actually, and it's so important to have people around us sometimes who can speak hope and believe for life and declare for life when we can't necessarily find it in ourselves to um, Honestly, I think most people who've walked with the Lord any length of time have found themselves in those seasons where I'm like, I have weak and wobbly knees right now. I need someone to come alongside me and just say, Sarah, God is coming. He will come to save you. And that's okay. Um, do you know, I want to, why don't we put even there? If, you, if, you, if that kind of feels like, do you know what I feel like that's me? Maybe there's, you know what, there's areas in my life where it feels there's this desert, there feels like this sort of parched land and there's just not the life that I want there. Or whether you're like, you know what, I do feel like my knees are creaking a little bit. Um, why don't you just put your hand on your heart, if that's you. Um, and I want to just, and I, I want to pray for you um, and even just speak these words over you. So Holy Spirit, would you come and, and bring life? God, would you come and breathe hope? And we just declare to every, every place of desert, every place that is as yet not flourishing, Father, we speak to every fearful heart and just declare peace. And we just declare that God is coming. God will come to save you. So be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. And God, we just declare over every person responding here that... Um, that their desert place, I suppose, their parched land will be glad, will know joy, will blossom, will know abundant, abundant life. So God, would you sustain them in the process and would you flood them with hope? In Jesus' name. Amen. Amazing. Verse 5. Verse 5 to 7 is essentially saying this, look, extraordinary things happen when God intervenes. You know, it's the most extraordinary thing is that sinners become sons. That's the most extraordinary thing in God, the intervention of God. But it doesn't stop there. Amazing things happen when God shows up. So the blind see, deaf hear, the mutes burst into song, the lame leap, deserts burst into life. Extraordinary things happen. And I don't think... Like, that, just so you know, that's not like poetic license. That's not a sort of metaphor. Like, that's actually what happens. Miraculous things happen physically when God intervenes, when God shows up. And that should be our expectation, and it should be, and it will be, and it is increasingly our normal. And it should be, because we're like, God, oh, we're ready. We want for you to come. We want for you to intervene this morning. We want for you to come and change. And so we see amazing, miraculous things happen um, when God intervenes. And again, you know, Jesus is the, is the complete picture of this. So much of what we read in the Old Testament, so much of the kind of the journey and the meanderings and the wanderings of, of Israel in the Old Testament, so much of that is like, it was like a picture, like a shadow almost, pointed towards ultimately, you know, Jesus and, and the amazing way that he has redeemed and rescued us. And so... In Jesus' life as well, there's this 
the norm is miraculous stuff happens. So there's an episode in um, Matthew 11 where John the Baptist's disciples come to Jesus' disciples and say, like, we want to get things clear. Is this guy, is Jesus the Messiah? Should we be looking for someone else or is he the real deal? And, um, and Jesus' response to them is this. He says, go back and report to John what you hear and see. So he doesn't give him a yes or a no. But he says, go and tell him this. The blind receive sight, the lame are walking, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf are hearing, the dead are raised, and the good news is being proclaimed to the poor. So essentially he is saying yes. Because for for Jewish people in that context, they know those prophecies in Isaiah particularly that were pointing to there's going to be one coming. There's going to be this Messiah who's going to come and rescue God's people. And and this is the stuff that's going to happen when the Messiah comes. So Jesus saying, look at all this stuff that's happened. He's saying, yes. I am the Messiah. I am God's perfect and final intervention, if you like, in the affairs of man. And so the miraculous is just naturally going to be a part of that. And, and so, you know, actually now we're the light of the world, like this Christ in us, the hope of glory. So it, it should naturally be that the miraculous breaks out around us. You know, so almost someone comes and say, well, tell me, are you a Christian or not? You know, we should be able to say, well, the blind are seeing, the deaf are hearing, depression is lifting, Lives are being restored. Like That stuff should break out around us because of who's in us. Not because of who I am, but who's in me. The miraculous should be a natural outworking that demonstrate God's here. He is intervening on behalf of people he loves so much. So again, um, and in verse 6 and 7, this is what I, wanted, I kind of felt I wanted to really land on. And I, Ruth was obviously listening to Jesus this week, but that last song we sang, I feel, is just such an important song right now in terms of actually, God, we're ready. We're ready, Holy Spirit, for you to come and do whatever you want to do. Do what only you can do. We're ready. We need you to come. We want you to come. Um, And so verse 6 and 7, it says, um, Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool and the thirsty ground bubbling strings. Um, Listen, being the redeemed of God doesn't just mean that life has flowed towards you, although it has and continues to. Being the redeemed of God means life should flow from us as well. And it reminds me of um, in John 7 where Jesus says, whoever believes in him, in me, as the scriptures said, streams of living water will flow from within them. So for whoever who believes, streams of living water flow from this. If you believe, rivers, streams of living water should flow from you. And it's, it's interesting, like it's not if you believe rivers of living water will flow from me. It's not. It's from, from them, from us. Um, and then in verse 39 it says, by this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up till that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. But now, Jesus has died, been resurrected, gone back to heaven. The Holy Spirit was sent at Pentecost to mark this total new season, if you like. Um, And so now, that's us. You know, anytime the the Bible talks, you know, in these terms about water, it's talking about Holy Spirit. Um, And so... This for me is an encouragement and a challenge. Um, Actually, that we all should have living water, life, flowing from us. It's not just that there should be life within me and my life is being restored and that there's life coming in areas which were like a desert. That's absolutely right. But it's more than that. It doesn't just, life doesn't just flow to me, it should flow from me. We should all have that living water 
It's not, it's not for a selective few. It's for all of us, whoever believes. And it's not even like it. See, this is the interesting. It's not even like Jesus is saying it's an option. It's like this will happen. So for me, the question is, well, if it's not, why not? Because if, if it's just into us but not out, um, then we're settling than less, for less than what God planned for us and less than what Jesus purchased for us. But it's, it's, like it, it's just not right biblically because life is in you. Whether you believe it or whether you feel it, life is in you because Jesus is in you. And it says in Romans, you know, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. So it's, it's in you. It just is. Holy Spirit is in you. So the issue is, am I living in a way that's moment by moment so dependent on the life of Jesus in me, the resurrection of power of Jesus that is in me, or do I mostly just jump back out and get on with doing it in my own strength? But actually, do I really live dependent on that and in a, in a way that I'm just like a, an open vessel with nothing blocking so that actually life can flow to me and from me so easily? You know, that should be the normal Christian life. But listen, I know we're all on a journey with that. So I don't want us to be discouraged, but I want us to actually understand. But you know what? Biblically, that's just what Jesus said should happen. I believe, so rivers of living water are going to flow from me. Now, whether your past experience tells you that's true or not, I want you to slightly disregard. It just is what it says in the Bible. If you believe, streams of living water will flow. That's what living a redeemed and revived life looks like. You know, a new life in Christ, with Christ in us and me abiding in Christ, um, must result in streams of living water, not trickles, streams. Again, all this language is it's language of abundance, isn't it? Not just bits. It's real fullness. It's real abundance. Um, but, you know, I think this picture of, of water, of um, streams in the desert, water in the desert places... I don't think that's just for me as an individual. I think it is, and I'm going to grab hold of it with both hands. But I think it's more than that. I think it's, I think it's a picture of wider revival than just individual lives. You know, God's intervention with Jesus, um, God's intervention didn't end with, well, I've sent you Jesus, I've sent you the Holy Spirit, you have everything you need, crack on. Like, like he didn't finish it 2,000 years ago. If you look through church history, there's repeated times where God sovereignly chooses to pour out his spirit in extraordinary ways, in specific times and places. Um, and honestly, I think we should be jealous to see that in our day. Like, I don't think God's finished with that either. So I think that picture of, of water in a desert is, is for us to really contend for, for Manchester, for the UK, for now. Um, you know, I think and passages like this in Isaiah really kind of provoke me and, and cause me to think, you know what, I have permission to believe and ask that God would do that again, pour out his spirit in greater measure. You know, it's all the stuff we sung this morning. God, you said you'd pour your spirit out. You said that you'd come. And so we're asking... You know, we want that greater measure. That promise of revival should inspire us and challenge us and provoke us to pray. And listen, there's something I want, we will look at, I think, in the autumn term, but like, we need to strengthen ourselves in prayer. We're not strong in prayer, and we need to be as a people. I know we're praying. I know people pray. You know, I know people are kind of, you're prayer walking around the city. I know people are praying. Um, but there is something about us standing together and praying that's really powerful. Um, and I just don't think we're taking full advantage of that yet as a church. I want to encourage us to, to pray for and believe for that. 
but also to expect for and step out for life coming all around us. God, he's, he's faithful. He said if we ask, he'll come into areas that are dry and difficult, yes, in our own lives, but actually on a much bigger scale than that. And if you look at, you look at Manchester, you look at the UK, honestly, like the spiritual health check, if you like, I'd say it's a dry and barren place. I'd say we're a parched land. Um, so we can be thirsty on behalf of our country, if that makes sense. We can be thirsty on behalf of Manchester and say, God, we need you to come. You know, we look at the, you know, there's so much to be glad of, and there's so much to be thankful for, but there's so much more that we need and we want, and we need to be, um, we can be thirsty, and I want to encourage you that actually we ought to be thirsty for ourselves, not just settling for what has happened, but hungry for what's next. But I think we can be thirsty on behalf of our country and believe and ask for God to intervene again, to pour out his spirit again in a greater way, to bring life and restoration again. Um, but, you know, the part that you and I have to play is, is honestly, God is not going to... God can sovereignly do whatever he wants to do, but right throughout the Bible, he, he chooses to partner with us and respond to hungry, thirsty people. Like, he, he does. Like he, he makes us all gatekeepers. If you know, you're a gatekeeper in your life. Leaders in this church, like we're gatekeepers in this community. Actually, as believers, I feel you have a role as gatekeepers even in this city as to whether to say, God, come on in. And of course he can do what he likes. He can smash through whatever you put up. He's God, for goodness sakes. But he chooses to partner with hungry, thirsty people. And so I, I feel like we need to be cultivating and encouraging one another to, to be hungry, to be thirsty, and to believe that Isaiah 35 is for Manchester for today as much as it was for the Jews thousands of years ago. But to believe, actually, do you know what? It's, it's not just for the corporate us. Do you know what? Isaiah 35 is for you individually right where you're at as well. It's these layers of promise within it. But the part often that we have to play is actually that we'd want it, that we'd be hungry, that we'd be thirsty, and, I mean, we, I could spend all morning, you know, there's so many places in the Bible that it talks about that. But Isaiah 44 particularly, um, another amazing prophetic promise of the God who restores. This is what God says in verse 3. I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessings on your descendants. They will spring up like grass in a meadow, like poplar trees by the flowing streams. Like God said he will. He will pour out his spirit, and when he does, life happens. When God intervenes, life happens. Let's finish it up, wrap it up. Verse 8. In all this, you know, God's promised to come and intervene. Um, do you know what? There is a requirement on you and I. Verse 8 talks about there will be a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go on about it, uh, will not go about on it. Now, as much as we are, you know, like those Jews stuck in Babylon, you know, totally dependent on God sovereignly rescuing them from captivity and taking them home. You know, we are completely dependent on, on the work of Jesus to rescue us and take us home. But once we're home and once we're walking with him as the redeemed, we have a part to play. You know, it says it throughout the New Testament, this phrase, do not be deceived. You know, wrongdoers will not inherit inherit the kingdom of God. People who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. There's such abundant life that is available to you and I. But you know what? It's not a free-for-all. It's not that it is of no consequence how we live. If we want to inherit 
as individuals, as a church family, you know, as a church in this country, if we want to inherit everything that God has in his kingdom for us, and he has so much for us, there is a requirement on our part to walk in the way of holiness. And we talked about that a lot when we were in Peter, but again, right in, that, in the middle of this amazing promise of life and abundance, there's this charge to listen, walk carefully. It's really important. And finally, it's about coming home. This amazing chapter lands saying, um, but only the redeemed will walk there on that way of holiness. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing and everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. Sorrow and, uh, sorrow and sighing will flee away. Right? Obviously, like those verses are talking about God's people in Babylon coming home. He's saying they will come home and it's going to be wonderful. There's going to be such joy. Um, But it is also about us. Like we are those redeemed. We are those who have been rescued and brought back out of slavery into freedom and hope. And so that promise of joy and gladness overtaking us is for you and I as well. Like it's not a personality trait. Like that's a promise that's available for you and I. It says in the, Paul says, doesn't he, that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, joy in the holy spirit like that's not a pick and mix it's not like some people get one some people get two some lucky people get all three like that's the kingdom that you're living in so joy overwhelming joy should crown you as the redeemed crown you as a believer who's been rescued and brought home that's what that's what available to you so let's wrap it up i love this chapter it's just it's an amazing i think it's a multi-layered promise of the God who intervenes. And when God intervenes, life happens in extraordinary ways. So yes, it's talking to the Israelites in captivity in Babylon. Absolutely. I, yes, I think it's, it's pointing forwards to Jesus' intervention and redeeming us from captivity and bringing us home. I think it's a promise to us as individuals that any area of our life that looks beyond redemption, beyond restoration, you know, the marriage that feels like it's dead and in the grave, you know, the finances that seem they're so impossible, how could it possibly turn around? Whatever it is, God wants to intervene and life is coming, but you need to believe for it and hold on for it. And and we need to encourage one another with that, which is why it's so important that you're known. Like, I don't know how to pray for and contend for and speak life for your marriage if I don't know you're struggling. Listen, and I'm not saying we all share everything with everyone, caveat. Like, I'm not saying that. But someone needs to know you're struggling because someone needs to be able to stand next to you and say, God will come. If nobody knows, I can't speak life and hope on your behalf. It's so important that we're known. So it's a promise for us as individuals. Um, but it's more than that. It's about, actually, I think it's a, it's a promise to, um, and an invitation to believe again for God to come and, and bring revival, to, you know, to wake up his church and to, and to see his kingdom come in extraordinary ways in Manchester, in the UK, in Europe, now, not just history. So it's, it's almost like it's, it's pointing to God's intervention in history, with the Israelites. It reminds us of God's intervention in our history in terms of Jesus, but it's the promise of God's intervention in our present and our future as well. Yes, for us as individuals, but for bigger than that, for the people of Manchester, for the people of the UK, it's bigger than that. Um, And I want us to be hungry for that, actually, for 
revival in the biggest context, that actually individual lives would be revived. You know, the, you know, don't settle for, well, I just have this patch which is a bit like a desert. I just, like, like don't settle. You know, God has a way of bringing life which is going to blow your mind. Um, but the start, the start off, I suppose, for us is to kind of, it's just to begin to believe that God will do that for us individually. And so it's, it's a beautiful passage that is, is speaking hope and comfort and encouragement. You know, wherever we find ourselves on the journey, however much we feel we have life, however much we feel maybe there's desert, actually it's a promise of life and hope and restoration for all of us. So um, I would love for us to pray. Um, why don't you stand we'll stand together. Yes, the Holy Spirit, we just invite you. Thank you that you are here. And we just say that we are, we're absolutely ready and open and hungry for more of you. And God, I want to thank you that you're the God who brings hope. Consistently and faithfully, you bring hope. And that you call us to be a people of hope. Expectation that life's coming. That God's going to intervene and life will come. So, Father, we want to thank you, firstly, that um, you've rescued and redeemed us. Thank you that you have brought our freedom. Thank you that you have brought us home. And, God, we, are, God, we want to live for the whole of our days, saying we are a thankful, thankful people that you rescued and redeemed us. And thank you, God, that you're a God of restoration. And, Father, I pray for every life here, every marriage here, every bank balance here, everybody's health here people's children, people's jobs. God, would you come and in any area where as yet we're not flourishing, would you bring life? Thank you, God, that you want to intervene, that you are intervening and you will continue to intervene. God, we just believe for life. God, would you come and Strengthen up the weak knees. God, would you come and steady those in the waiting? God, come and speak peace and hope and comfort to every fearful heart. And God, help us. Holy Spirit, help us to live as a people who receive life coming to us, but actually a people where life flows from us as well. We just declare over everyone that for whoever believes, streams of living water will flow so Holy Spirit come come and fill us again come and flow from us once again yeah Yeah, so we ask for more of you Holy Spirit we say we're hungry we're thirsty God you said if we asked that you'd come and so we're asking Holy Spirit come come 